1: These days, we all know that we shouldn't believe everything we see on the internet. Deep fakes and doctored images can look very real, which is why it's so important to know which news sources are trustworthy and which should be taken with a grain of salt. Back in the mid-20th century, though, things were a lot different. People didn't always view the news with such skepticism, but maybe they should have. You see, on April 1st of 1957, a BBC news program called Panorama featured a story that left its British viewers perplexed. The black-and-white broadcast began with a series of images from the Swiss countryside, trees covered in blooming flowers, bees pollinating the buds, and women admiring their gardens. As these idyllic frames flashed on screen, a British journalist named Richard Dimbleby narrated, Richard was a respected reporter known for his in-depth coverage of World War II, His voice was serious as he discussed the recent weather conditions in Switzerland. He said, and I quote, The past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. As soon as he said those words, the broadcast cut to video of a large flowery tree with hundreds of spaghetti noodles hanging off its branches— Women in traditional Swiss dresses harvested pasta from the trees. Meanwhile, Richard discussed the differences between Italian and Swiss spaghetti production. According to him, Italian spaghetti farms were much larger, while Swiss pasta cultivation was a smaller family affair. Of course, Richard explained the temperate weather was helping the spaghetti trees thrive. But so is something else. He said, quote, another reason why this may be a bumper year lies in the virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil, a tiny creature whose depredations have caused much concern in the past. Now, I don't think I have to tell you that spaghetti weevils do not exist, and pasta does not grow on trees. But here's the thing. Back in 1957, not all British people knew that. At the time, spaghetti wasn't a common dish in the UK. If people ate it at all, they probably got it out of a can, and they didn't necessarily know how it was made. In the wake of this bizarre broadcast, the British public was split into two camps. Most people thought that they had just learned something new and interesting about spaghetti. Some gardeners even called in asking where they might be able to get their own spaghetti trees. However, a small minority, those who knew how pasta was actually made, were furious. The BBC received a flood of calls from people demanding an explanation. Panorama was supposed to be a serious, factual program. Why on earth would someone like Richard Dimbleby purposely spread misinformation? It turns out it was all one guy's idea. And that guy was not Richard. It was a freelance cameraman named Charles de Jaeger. Charles wanted to create a prank segment for April Fool's Day. He pitched the idea to David Wheeler, the producer of Panorama, and David thought that it sounded funny, so he agreed to give the cameraman a meager production budget of £100. Charles found a good location in the Swiss countryside, cooked a whole bunch of spaghetti, and hung the noodles off the tree's limbs. He even hired actors to, quote-unquote, harvest the crop. The whole thing was staged as a joke. Unfortunately, the punchline didn't really land for British audiences. Nevertheless, in a 2004 interview, producer David Wheeler said that he didn't regret pulling the prank on the public. He said, quote, I think it was a good idea for people to be aware they couldn't believe everything they saw on television and that they ought to adopt a slightly critical attitude towards it. In this way, David was ahead of his time, and his advice is even more important today. Whenever you watch TV, read the news, or scroll through social media, make sure to use your noodle. This is
0: Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History class. And find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
1: Whether it's baked onto a pizza, poured over a plate of nachos, or sprinkled on top of a salad, the culinary world just wouldn't be the same without cheese. The practice of fermenting dairy goes back thousands of years. It all probably began when a herdsman noticed some milk he'd been carrying had separated into curds and whey. And in the many years since, cheesemaking has become a skill that humanity has refined, giving us grocery store aisles full of every variety you can imagine. However, in the early 1940s, the United States military found itself in a bit of a predicament. America had just entered World War II, and feeding the nation's troops proved to be a challenge. The biggest problem was that fresh food was expensive to ship, and it went bad quickly. Ideally, rations would be relatively cheap and would remain safe to eat for years. Now, when it came to calorie-dense, shelf-stable foods, one item stood out. Processed cheese product. Think about Velveeta. Invented in 1918, it's not cheese so much as it is cheese-adjacent. But it was inexpensive and it stored well. And that's what the military needed. Government officials contacted Kraft, the company that owned Velveeta, They purchased 25 million cans of cheese-like product, along with 500,000 pounds of cheese-flavored spread. These foods became staples of U.S. military rations. But still, the government wasn't completely satisfied. These products were long-lasting and cheap to buy, for sure, but they were also heavy, and that meant that they still cost quite a bit to ship to troops around the world. And they were cumbersome for soldiers to carry around. Now, the obvious answer was to dehydrate the cheese. Removing the water from foods makes them exponentially lighter. However, at the time, the only way to dehydrate food was to expose it to prolonged high temperatures. This worked for cheese, but it also melted out all the fat, reducing the calorie-dense food to a pile of dust with very few nutrients. The military needed a way to take the water out of cheese while still keeping the fat. In 1943, they found the perfect man for the job. His name was George Saunders, and he worked as a dairy scientist for the United States Department of Agriculture. George set to work testing out new methods of dairy dehydration. After lots of trial and error, he found something that worked, splitting the drying process into two distinct steps. Instead of just blasting the cheese with high heat right off the bat, he started with low temperatures, which trapped in the fats and proteins. After that, the cheese was broken up into smaller pieces and dehydrated at a high heat. This resulted in a cheese powder that was ultra-light, but still nutrient-dense. George packed these into round discs that were perfect for storage and shipping, and he called these cheesecakes, not to be confused with the dessert. Now, I know this might not sound particularly exciting, but the military wanted to get people pumped up about cheese powder. In 1943, they released a war bond advertisement in which a shirtless soldier fed his comrade a puck of dehydrated cheese— Suddenly, dairy dust was all the rage. Fast forward two years to 1945, when World War II came to an end. After all this work to create the perfect rations, the U.S. military faced another weird problem. They had mountains upon mountains of dehydrated cheese powder and no soldiers to feed it to. Once again, the government officials contacted Kraft. This time, instead of buying cheese, they offered to sell theirs at an extremely discounted price— Basically, they were willing to take a huge loss just to get all of this dairy powder off of their hands. And for Kraft, it was a no-brainer. They took the military's leftovers and used them to create a brand new snack. The first bags hit grocery store shelves in 1948, and they were an instant hit, bringing in millions of dollars of revenue each year. Today, they're the second most popular salty snack in America. So what did Kraft create with that government cheese powder? The iconic snack... That leaves your fingers coated in orange colored dust. Cheetos. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.